I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have to sensitize yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ideas Dietist podcast, where we explore the challenging ideas that divide us in order to open our minds just a little bit, maybe hear some things we disagree with, but I think that's okay. My name's Conrad, and I want to welcome brand new friend of the show, Justin Briley. Thanks for joining the Ideas Dietist podcast. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It's, It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you're in England somewhere. I can tell by the accent. I'm going to guess London. Is that pretty close uh near to london yeah i live in a town called woking so not not too far from london and let's say you're visiting london i've been to london before we bump into each other on the underground we're walking around i'm like oh justin it's nice to meet you if we're to first kind of meet get first assumptions of each other who are you and what do you do so i've been involved in creating conversations between christians and atheists for a long time uh so many people will know me from a show called unbelievable where i uh was basically the moderator of a show for a number of years that hosted Christians and atheists in dialogue and people of other faiths as well in dialogue. Uh, But generally, that's been my passion, kind of creating interesting conversations across the secular and religious divide, um, helping to hopefully give Christians reasons for their faith, helping to engage non-Christians with those reasons and just to understand each other better as well in the process. So, so yeah, it's, it's very much been kind of done through creative means, through podcast, radio, video, writing, that kind of thing. Uh, and that's what I continue to do. I did actually move on from the Unbelievable Show just recently, um, but I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. excited by some of the new projects I'm involved in, especially uh, the book that we're going to be talking about today. Excellent. That's exactly right. And people will might have heard, I did hear that you moved on from Unbelievable. And that's probably where most people know you, creating those conversations, which is probably why you're on the show, in a way, doing a slightly similar thing. People disagree over a lot of different things. Are there bridges we can cross? Are there ways of understanding different worldviews? But Justin, you seem like a very nice guy. I've just met you. What we always do on the show is I might have some judgments. Friends of the show who might not know who you are might have some judgments about you. Could we confess some of those judgments to you so that you can correct them where you think they're wrong? <laughs> um, so, so are you asking me what what kind of things people might think about me that that they might uh, are actually wrong? In fact, is that the idea? Well, I did my best to do some googling. You're a semi-public figure to try and come up with some things that people might think about you yeah. or some assumptions they might have shooting from the hip, yeah. and to get you to kind of go, "Nah, that's off," or "That one's on." That uh, the hard version of the game is to stick with a yes or no, but you can go into nuance okay. if you wish. All right, okay. Well, I'm 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 happy to hear what they are, and I will <laughs> I will tell you what my response is. <laughs> well, I can't say I can't say accurate now. Half of them come from Googling. The other half come from me just trying to like get the most extreme sort of thing of what what someone might be thinking when they first come across you. I mean, I would never judge someone. So it's obviously (laughs) not me. But Justin, you've indicated you're a Christian. You've been in that space for a while. People are thinking this guy's a Christian, probably a judgmental Christian. Yes or no? Uh Hopefully, no. Um, I, I guess that, that that is certainly, you know, I can understand where that impression would come from for some people. But I, I try not mm. to uh, judge people by appearances or labels or anything else. I like to get to know someone before making any judgment about them. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think of myself mm. as a judgmental person. But, but um, yeah. So, well, so hopefully, so hopefully, that's a no. Well, you're a better man than me because I'm going to keep going. Uh, Christian, I've got a few loaded here. You must be this Trump voting. I'm in, I'm in North Carolina right now and I'm in Trump country. So you, there's a lot of Christians around here. So you must be a Trump voting Christian. Well, given, I, given I'm in the UK, I don't really get an option on voting for American presidents. But um, True. Uh, no, I mean, had, had, were I an American citizen, I... I, I I can't quite see myself as voting for Donald Trump. So, um, again, yeah, hopefully that stereotype also doesn't apply to me. Okay. We're two from two, zero, zero, zero. Uh, This one is a very popular political one right now. You must be Christian, so therefore you must be anti-trans, anti-LGBT. 
uh, not anti um, either thing. I, I I would say I think we need to think critically and clearly about those issues, but I think we should also see everyone as made in the image of God. And so however they describe themselves, whatever direction they've gone in personally, I would say everyone is valued, loved, and I'm not anti any body or anything. Um, even if we, you know, mm. maybe do need to look carefully at, you know, the, the particular directions of some movements, et cetera. So, so, uh, so yeah, mm. I, I hope, I hope I wouldn't ever be seen as anti anything or anybody. Uh, and this one is probably comes from the space that you've been in for a while. And I actually, this is one I got from the Googling from maybe one of your friends of your show, Richard Carrier. Uh, he says, just another Christian nationalist and propagandist, Justin Briley. Is that you? <laughs> wow. Um, I, again, not, not a, not a description I recognize of myself. Um, I, okay. I mean, propagandist, mm-hmm. I guess maybe Richard's getting that from the fact that I'm a Christian apologist, i.e. I seek to defend the Christian uh-huh. faith through rational evidences. He obviously disagrees with a lot of those evidences and therefore in his eyes, perhaps uh-huh. it amounts to propaganda. That's not the way I would see yeah. it. I don't know where he gets the Christian nationalism thing from. Uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever mm-hmm. written or said a word that, that could be described as nas- Christian nationalist nationalism, quite mm-hmm. the opposite, in fact. So, um, yeah, okay. that, that's, uh, that, that's, that's interesting. I hadn't even read that. So, yeah. <laughs> I was, it was deep in a long blog. So it was, I was impressed I found it myself. I was searching for your keywords in there. Justin, uh, is there anything I might have missed or something that you get quite common, how people might perceive you, uh, some judgments that you receive? Because um, you're online a lot. I think you've probably put your finger on a lot of them. You know, just the word Christian for some people oh, has excellent. has a lot of baggage associated with it. And and to that extent, yeah, I, I don't think you should label anyone just, just off the fact that they're a follower of Jesus. They're, they come in all shapes and sizes. Um, yeah, uh, so... so I, I'd say that you've, yeah, you've, you've probably hit all the all the main bases there of the <laughs> the typical stereotypes and uh, yeah. You're telling me I'm great at judging. I'll take it. Thank well. you very much. To then what we're here to talk about, um, your book, the surprising rebirth of belief in God. What is the rebirth, and which God, and I suppose why? But let's start with the what. What is this rebirth that you're talking about? You've been in this space for quite a long time. Uh, the trend is what people are often saying. The belief in God is dipping. I know recent surveys out of London and England. Um, it's at an all-time low. Probably Australia the same. America the same. Church attendance is going down. And now you've released a book saying the surprising rebirth. Um, what is, I guess, what is this rebirth? Mm. Well, it's a great question because as you say, when you look at the statistics, it, it's all going downhill when it comes to church attendance, people who say they're Christians. Just last year here in the UK, for the first time, less than 50% of the population ticked the Christian box. Most people ticked that they don't have any particular religion. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's certainly the direction that that it looks like in the culture. Um, but I, I I've been noticing some interesting changes, and and often I think things happen at a level up here before they trickle down and percolate to the rest of the culture. Um, it, it was actually a, a conversation that I had uh, a few years ago with a British journalist who's a secular person and an atheist called Douglas Murray, and and he. Um, he pointed out that a number of his thinking, intelligent friends had converted to Christianity in recent years. Um, and it wasn't a flood, but it was not insignificant either. And um, we were talking about a poem by Matthew Arnold, who was a Victorian poet called Dover Beach. It's quite famous for one of its lines, which talks about the melancholy, long withdrawing roar of the sea of faith. This idea that faith has basically been going out on the West ever since the Enlightenment for the last few hundred years. He was seeing it in his time as a Victorian. And 150 years later, it's only, you know, gone gone even further. But what Douglas said in this context, he said, well, the thing about tides is they do come back in again. And that got me thinking because Douglas Murray himself is among a number of secular intellectuals who are questioning the whole atheist paradigm in our culture. Um, And I was increasingly seeing in my own experience that having started my unbelievable show with a lot of those quite combative new atheist versus Christian debates about does God exist, the tone of the debates had changed and the people in the discussions had changed as well. 
uh, I felt like the atheist movement itself had kind of fizzled out to some extent and had been replaced by a much more nuanced conversation among secular thinkers asking, well, can we even live without something like religion? What do we do in the absence of some kind of story to make sense of our lives in that way? And looking again at ancient wisdom, scripture for guidance. Um, so when I started to notice a certain number of these thinkers cropping up more and more frequently in my timeline, coming on my show to talk about it, having much more congenial conversations with Christians about meaning and purpose and culture, I thought, I think there's something going on here. Alongside that, I was seeing some, like Douglas Murray was seeing, some quite surprising converts to Christianity, adult people, thinking people. And it just made me wonder, I wonder if something's happening in our culture, even as we see the church decline and, you know, people saying they're not Christians, the rise of the nuns. At the same time, something else could be happening. And that's what the book's really all about. So you just you you seem to be witnessing this, even though the the stats and the trends of formalized religion continue that way. You're not saying that it's like necessarily picking up in that regard. And it sounds like you're pointing out a, a shift in the conversation. Is there a downfall? Has there been a downfall of religion? You say, I guess, belief in God, which can take many different religious forms. But from where you're coming from in your book, you're pointing at uh, a Christian God. If we, if we take the religion Christianity specifically, has there been a downfall and who is to blame? Mm. Well, it depends where you're looking, actually, because um, arguably Christianity is stronger than it's ever been at any point in history. When you look at a global level, um, the Christian church is right. growing very quickly in Africa, South America, China, even parts of the Middle East. Um, so, so to some extent really what we're looking at here is is a sort of particular part of the global picture and that's the west where undoubtedly yes christian faith or at least you know as an institutional religion it it's it's been decreasing as we've said through all the surveys and so on so there's no doubt that that in a sense in the west the christian story we're living in an increasingly post-christian culture and that kind of thing as i say that doesn't reflect the whole story globally and we shouldn't sort of imagine that we're, you know, the only thing that matters. But nonetheless, you know, yes, in the West, um, it, 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 we're certainly seeing Christianity start to decline as a as a sort of social phenomenon, as, as a cultural institution and everything else. I suppose the question then is, um, does that mean that Christianity is itself dying or is it just perhaps changing shape? Is something else happening? I think I think that may be true, that you, just because some forms of church going or Christianity start to, to wither, it doesn't mean that things are necessarily just going away or dying entirely. I think that's often been the, the picture that's painted by certain secular people, atheists who would like Christianity to kind of die and and sort of be forgotten but christianity has a surprising habit of coming back from the dead you know and obviously at the center of it is a is a person who claims to have come back from the dead so it's it's basically i i see the history of christianity in the west and globally as being kind of peaks and troughs and you get kind of periods where things die off but then you frequently find something happens and there's some kind of revival and and my contention is that we might be due for one of those for one of those kind of a new thing happening and there's rare reasons why I see evidence of it in the culture that we might be just starting to see that that tide turn, if you like, that that sea of faith just starting to, to to reach its outer limit and be ready to come back in. So there's two ways people might be might be hearing you. They might be hearing and saying, OK, so Justin's saying that everyone will be back. You'll be back in churches. It's going to be like what it was. You'll be back. Like, I'll, I'll wait for you here. Just tapping <laughs> my watch kind of. And I told you, I won't say I told you so, but I kind of will. Or... Is it going to come back and, and I guess like the title rebirth, is it going to look different and will Christians necessarily recognize it? Because on this show, we've spoken to a lot of different people mm. um, talking about deconstruction, their journey with deconstruction, pulling apart uh, religion, the religion they grew up in. And a lot of them, I guess, you know, some might end up in the hardened atheist camp, some might end up in the agnostic camp, and some end up in more of the progressive Christian mm. camp, which I know is very contentious even within Christian circles. They look at progressive Christians and say, you're not a Christian. But progressive Christians hearing you might say, yeah, it is a rebirth. We're pulling apart and taking away the old things that didn't work. And something new is is kind of mm. happening. Mm. Is that what you're pointing at and if it is something new and something new being rebirthed 
are Christians going to recognize it or will the stereotype of the Protestant never-ending splitting of (laughs) religions continue where, you know, this new movement goes, hey, we've discovered this and we're going to, we're doing something a little bit different. And then the old version goes, well, you're a heretic, get out. We can't be next to each other. How do you see this rebirth and what, what does it sort of look like? And will Christians yeah, recognize it? Well, I don't want to be too dogmatic about what this rebirth might end up looking like. I'm only kind of pointing out really mm-hmm. the very beginnings of something here uh, and whether it will be a kind of movement in and of itself remains to be seen. I'm what I, I guess I'm I'm actually seeing this happen in a lot of different spheres of the Christian church. So it's not it's not sort of restricted to just one. Now I, I like you have seen a lot of that thing going on in the Western world, the deconstruction thing. Um, I've seen a lot of people going exactly in those different camps you mentioned: atheist, agnostic, off to be a progressive Christian. Um, and and in my experience. Um, the problem with that whole thing is that I feel like that's a very, it's it's a snapshot of just where we are at this current moment, okay? And it's a snapshot of, for me, a phenomenon that, that really only exists because it's a kind of response to a very kind of, you know, you talked about Christian nationalism earlier, a very specific type of US Christianity, actually. It, the, the deconstruction is happening almost entirely out of a kind of, well, uh, certain types of deconstruction are happening entirely out of a kind of US evangelical subculture. And the problem is that, you know, when you're in that culture, you can think, well, that is what Christianity is. Um, And in fact, of course, as soon as anyone does any history or goes a little bit outside of their own tribe, they'll realize that Christianity is far more diverse than that. It, it, It has existed for thousands of years in many different cultures and contexts. And the the US evangelical church is but one moment, you know, and it's currently going through something of a reckoning, um, not just from the deconstruction side of things, but also from all the, you know, scandals that have been happening around celebrity pastors and everything. It feels like there's a sort of something's happening in that particular part of the church where it's getting shaken up. Some things are having to fall away. And yes, people are deconstructing. I wouldn't say necessarily from Christianity per se, but from a very specific cultural instantiation of Christianity. Um, in my experience, a lot of people do end up reconstructing, but they reconstruct into, if they do reconstruct in a Christian form, it's not into the same one that they left. So it's not that I think all, everyone who's currently in a sort of evangelical church that's sort of been emptying out is going to suddenly receive lots of people back into their church. I think inevitably people find a new home quite often once they do find a way back to faith. And and again, that would be my point is that of all those, of those three different camps you mentioned, atheist, agnostic, progressive Christian, I don't actually find that many of the de- people I meet who have gone through deconstruction ending up now in the kind of hard atheist camp. Maybe people who like really feel, you know, let down by the church, they might go off in that direction, but the, I don't think they often stay there for that long. Um, because actually, when you actually look at the statistics, even as we've become an increasingly post-Christian culture and deconstruction is part of that, um, the actual numbers of people who describe themselves as sort of hard materialist atheists has remained relatively level. Um, you, you're not seeing as people lose Christianity, they're kind of going all the way over here to a kind of hard and fast materialist Richard Dawkins style atheism. They're usually somewhere in the middle there. They're probably describing themselves as now spiritual but not religious. They're saying, I'm just not kind of into institutional religion anymore. But I think there's probably still something out there. I don't think we're purely just, you know, thinking machines, um, uh, you know, in a meaningless universe. So for me, and this kind of goes into another point that I make in the book, I don't think we ever really lose the religious instinct. We can lose, we can fall out of love with a particular kind of religion. but I, I rarely think that we, very few people, I think, ultimately um, can actually um, convince themselves that we are simply mater- living in a purely material universe. I think in in practice, that very rarely happens for, for most people. And so the religious instinct tends to get channeled into something else. It might be a particular, you know, political ideology. It might be a particular passion that that person has, um, whatever it is we don't kind of lose that that sense of a, a kind of a sacredness to life, that there's something that, that really matters to me. So I don't know if that helps to answer the question at all, Conrad, but it's that's kind mm. of the way I, I, I see things mm. panning out. 
Well, you're describing, I suppose, the deconstruction that people are going through to say, to be more specific about the type of deconstruction people go through. And, and you're pointing out a certain brand or a certain type of Christianity, whether it's Christianity entrenched within a culture of Christianity. Obviously, I'm in America right now, and this is a very different culture of Christianity than the one I grew up in. Mm. And so you're saying that people are... are, are they. They might describe it as deconstructing from Christianity or deconstructing from a religion or deconstructing from a belief in God, but sounds like you're saying it's probably something more specific in deconstructing from a certain type of God, from a certain structure of religion, and and pointing out that a lot of people are... I suppose when you bring up this religious instinct that people have, and I noticed in your book you said most people if they're holding religion and let it go, they pick up something else and kind of hold it religiously as well. Speaking a little bit more about that, what is the religious instinct that people have? Is this the drive for meaning? Is this the drive to believe we are more important, that we are special, that we, there is something out there that, that cares about us? What, how would you describe what you're calling as the religious instinct? And why do you say that everyone just is religious yeah. by nature? Well, I think it's something like what you described. I think it's that that we all need a story to live by. Um, it's very difficult. I, th- I think we are meaning making creatures. You know, now that that you could you could sort of just analyze that on a purely sort of biological social level. You know, that that it's kind of good good for the passing on of our DNA to have some kind of you know a, a sense of purpose and transcendence and the sacred in our lives and everything else so you could you could just give it a purely biological explanation but i i happen to think actually it's not just a biological thing i think that that there's a kind of you know to use the words of blaise pascal the god-shaped hole in us and that we are made to worship um and that if we don't end up worshiping god we will worship something else that you know and as calvin said you know that the human heart is a perpetual idol making factory it's it you know and the idols change from age to age but essentially we tend to put other things in the place of god um when we sort of you know when we lose the god and as we've lost the christian story what i see happening in the west as the judeo-christian kind of story of reality that to some extent did give people whether they realized it or not a kind of an overarching sense of who they were how they fitted in to this big story of reality um, and and kind of a, a, a kind of a, an origin story, a kind of sense of where they were now, and a sense of how it's all going to end up. Um, I think as that story has gone away, it's been replaced by lots of people having lots of their own stories. It, you know, we we live in a kind of postmodern culture where it's a kind of seek your own truth, kind of tell your own story. There's no script for life, kind of uh, attitude and. And I think we see that increasingly, especially in recent years, in the proliferation of different identities that are now on offer for people to sort of say, well, this is who I am. This is the way I want to live my life. This, And and I think and and I think that's part of that religious impulse. It, it's because we, if we lose one story, we want to replace it with something. We want to make sense of our life. We want something that's bigger than us, that we can be part of some, some other story. The problem is, as we're finding in our culture, these stories are now all you know, batting up against each other and we're falling out with each other over your story conflicts with my story. And, and this is the, essentially what the culture wars are, isn't it? And for mm-hmm. me, um, that becomes incredibly tiring. It becomes actually, um, quite mm-hmm. toxic in, in many ways. Um, and I think it burdens, especially a lot of young people with the kinds of things we're seeing rising in our culture in terms of, um, anxiety, depression, a sense of futility um and for me it's like i'm speak here obviously as a christian but i think there is a story that makes sense of our lives and all of those other stories are kind of echoes of that story but they're not the fulfillment they're not the story um it's only once we kind of come back to the the story that kind of births every other story that 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 we make sense of it so i i just think the religious instinct Mm -hmm. is there we, we need a story to live by, but we're telling ourselves increasingly superficial and, un, you know, stories that don't make sense of our life ultimately, um, even though we, we promise mm-hmm. they will. They, they, they actually they end up just not doing the job. So it, on, on some level, this is, I suppose, the Christian narrative for many people when they occupy a religious position or they're a Christian and they look outside at perhaps the millennial generation that has left the churches in droves. 
I want to get to where you're talking about the implications of that, the the after effects, the things to be wary of in a culture. And then it kind of links politically, which I, I want to get to. Mm. But I wonder if, do you think as you look at this, would you agree with friends of the show like Rob Bell or Brad Jerzak who describe this age of, let's say it's lots of millennial, Western millennial uh, Christians deconstructing. Would you call this a necessary process? Is this something that ultimately is many Christians look at it and go, oh, they're just selfish. They just want to follow their own things. They don't have a stomach for truth and off they go to pull this thing apart. Or like, you know, Brad Jerzak would point out this maybe maybe similar to what you're saying is this is the process of necessary death and rebirth. There is a part of Christianity that must die for something else to be reborn. Do you think this age of deconstruction and the rise of the nuns is is a necessary process or do you think it's, uh, you know, more more work of the devil and deception? Well, <laughs> it's hard to answer that because uh, at the end of the day, I, I think it's always a mixed bag. And people who, one person who says de, I'm deconstructing can have very different motives and a story to another person who's saying they're deconstructing. So I'm not going to say that that every person is just on a pure quest for truth and meaning and, and purpose. There might be some some ulterior motives, you know, someone, it might be someone just does, doesn't like the idea of, of a God who's kind of, you know, stands over them in some way. I'm not here to judge what the individuals are. I'd say as a, as a general movement the deconstruction movement i i don't see it i don't feel threatened by it I, and i i'm i i can i know where what you mean when you say there are christians out there who sort of say oh this is you know this is just people rebelling against god and, and everything else i mean that 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 work only works under the assumption that they are currently have the perfect you know version of church and and until people come back to their church you know there's no you know you know they're obviously rebelling against it I don't believe that the church is and will always be a flawed human institution and it is in constant need of reforming and the church of you know 21st century America today does not look the same as the church of 100 years ago 200 years ago 300 years ago um, and to that extent yeah deconstruction is is but one more part of that constant evolution and flow of you know as Brad Jerzyk says of that death and rebirth now does that mean that you know, progressive Christianity is kind of, you know, the true version of Christianity, not necessarily. It may be that there are people who need to find a home in that for a while because they've been burnt by the the evangelical church or whatever it is. Um, but it, it's probably none of, none of these sort of things are going to be the the final instantiation of God's kingdom on earth. You know, they're always going to be our, our fairly flawed human attempts at finding what the kingdom of God looks like in our lives and in the life of the world. My My, my hope is that underneath it all you know there there is actually this kind of cosmic kind of god-sized thing going on of, of where his 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 purposes are being fulfilled there is his will is being done and all all i'm pointing out is that in an increasingly secular age yeah in an age where lots of people in the west at least are sort of deconstructing from a specific type of christianity i wouldn't even say that i mean i wouldn't even say that is deconstructing from christianity it's from it's from a specific type of church that they're deconstructing. That's 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 been my my feeling on it. Mm-hmm. Um, because not a theology, you wouldn't notice a common thread well, of a deconstruction uh, from certain types uh, oh, of beliefs. For sure. and well, when ways I say of holding the Bible, yeah, and that's what I really meant by a church. Though it's a certain sort of theological, mm-hmm. right. you know, type of fit thinking. It's a certain type of church, um, but you know, it's interesting because. A number of the people I've spoken to who have reconstructed from deconstruction, they've they've often gone in a different direction. Um, they might have gone into a Catholic or Eastern Orthodox tradition. I spoke to a fascinating um, Eastern Orthodox priest who basically went on a journey of deconstruction. And when he came back, he found his home in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, that's interesting to me because I, I, I actually see that happening in interesting ways among people who are kind of coming to faith for the first time in in some instances they they're kind of turned off by the sort of traditional or the evangelical kind of church subculture um it feels a bit shallow and you know it, 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 well what it is very often which is politicized and, and everything else 
Um, so in the book, I talk about some of the surprising converts I mentioned earlier, include Paul Kingsnorth, who's a celebrated poet and author here in the UK, had a very interesting journey um, from basically Buddhist through Buddhism into Wicca. He said he always, he never, he had a kind of brief foray as a teenage atheist, but it didn't stick. But he said he always had a sense of the transcendent and wanted to worship something. And when he went and became a Wiccan, he was sort of going down the road of trying to worship nature, essentially. But it still didn't work for him. He kind of came to see it as a sort of a bit of an unsatisfactory pastiche of sort of esoteric beliefs and you know, new age stuff. And and he finally did become a Christian, much to his own surprise. But he became specifically a Christian in the Eastern Orthodox Church, because for him, that was where he was drinking from the deepest well, in a sense, of what Christianity is. Um, he he felt like he'd come home, essentially, uh, in that particular Christian tradition. And it made sense of his whole journey. Um, that's not going to be everyone's story. But it's interesting to me that I've bumped into increasingly more converts who are not necessarily converting into the evangelical church, but they're converting into these 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 more ancient, more mystical forms of Christianity because they feel like that actually is what they're looking for. They're looking for something that's that's not just sort of what you get in the world kind of transplanted into a church sort of setting but but that that really does feel different linked into something much more ancient and uh, and bigger than themselves so so i i think that's an important dynamic of this this movement it's it's not sort of as you say it's not necessarily going to mean evangelicals suddenly find their church pews filling up again it might be that the the energy goes in a different direction you're describing a shifting perhaps within like within what people are calling Christianity. And I'd like for you to square some, I suppose, apologetics. A lot of the judgments I came came from the fact that you engage in a lot of apologetics. And when you when you're saying like these anecdotes in the book, you go through these people converted to Christianity, there is that subtext from apologists, probably across the board, that is what you said. Christianity is the deepest well. And but you also mentioned, as we were talking before, that well, we might not be at the final iteration. It's a journey. We're passing through things. We rest here. We keep going. It might not look, it looks different now than it does then, but it always seems to be encouched within the limits and the borders of Christianity. And apologetics for many people just seems like this, here is my assumption. It might be flexible within a few different degrees, but I am kind of encircling the wagons. I'm, I'm here to just justify the beliefs of other people. People might look at you and say, well... Like Justin, it's great, but you're kind of paid and incentivized to believe on behalf of other people, to hold these beliefs, to justify these beliefs, and to kind of buy into that modern story and the need for rationality, logic, and reason. You know, when science comes along, religion with its mythology and story and liturgy that doesn't make logical sense kind of picked up this new way of being. You know, modern Protestantism is very much like explaining like a scientific mm. textbook how Jesus died for us, how we are saved and what we need to do to get there. Whereas in history, you know, authors like Richard Raw would point out it was never like that. So I suppose square for me the limits on apologetics and the use of it, because many people do wield it as armoring themselves up. They receive beliefs and then they use apologetics to armor themselves and just go into battle for their beliefs. Is this the kind of apologetics you engage with it? Because you've You've done it for like a very long time. So I suppose, uh, and you're still a Christian in that space. So people might look at you and go, well, he says he's open-minded, but he's still a Christian. Uh, so to kind of encouch that all in one question, how much, how open-minded are you in 10 or 12 years? How much has your mind shifted? And where, are, I suppose, are the boundaries of this? Oh, it's, uh, those are all great questions. Um, I think... I mean, I think I have to just put my hand up and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And for me, that means I, uh, you know, I would say I'm I'm orthodox in the sense that, yeah, I subscribe to a certain set of beliefs about the way things are, about the nature of God and the history of Christianity and who Jesus is. I don't think, in a sense, you could say, well, he's biased. Well, of course, we, but we all are in that sense. Anyone who believes anything, you know, is in that sense biased. There's no such thing as a neutral bystander in any of this. So if you're an agnostic, well, you're you're biased because of 
the particular way in which you view the world as an agnostic. You know, if you're an atheist, you perhaps have a particular materialist kind of orthodoxy or creed that you essentially are defending. So, so we're all in the same boat in that sense. Um, I think that the way we carry our Christian faith obviously makes a difference. And, and I think you're right that the Protestant tradition has been very influenced by Enlightenment thinking and, and science and rationalism and so on. And I think that there is a danger in that, in that it, it can, it, it, it has tended to favour what um, the psychiatrist Ian McGilchrist calls the, the left brain way of looking at the world, basically. Um, and this is another sort of fascinating thing I, I sort of delve into a bit in the book is that, that in that whole area of uh, the brain and the way we understand culture, um, we, we have kind of adopted a sort of scient scientific kind of way of looking at everything in the West, at least over what was um, the more right-brained way of, of, of doing things that, that tended to dominate in, in previous ages, which is a more holistic understanding of things, a more intuitive way of understanding life, the universe and everything, uh, which simply, which therefore didn't sort of discount God or the numinous or mystery and everything else. Um, whereas today we tend to sort of compartmentalize everything, break everything down into atoms, electrons, and then through that, that kind of, uh, lens then then think that we've explained everything and as as Ian McGilchrist says I think very powerfully in, in his books you you don't explain everything that way you you because you haven't seen the big picture and and I think so for me actually part of this rebirth and it's it's figures like Ian McGilchrist that I find fascinating who are sort of pushing against that atheist materialist account of reality which I think you're right the Protestant church to some extent has kind of almost bought into as, as a kind of the only way of understanding or explaining things he he pushes back to say no we need to 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 understand things in their totality and that means using the imagination that means saying there is part of our our experience which can't be simply sort of boiled down to to data and logic and and rationality and and i think people don't realize just how much they're actually are driven by that side of themselves um because even the most hardened sort of scientist materialist they they tend to go and then listen to music that's all about love and adventure and passion they they watch films like we all do about superheroes and wizards and you know the the great sort of battle of good and good versus evil uh we want life to be a story like that we don't want it to be a sort of the just the grim reality of of uh, ultimately being a sort of an illusion where we're just a sort of you know beings that happen to have come together through a, a non-purposed or rational process and we're just basically here in the survival for life so it's um so for me the church does need to sometimes be very careful about the way it tries to present christianity and i think apologetics does have a problem here i think you've absolutely outlined that that it can just look like we're here to you know take our predetermined beliefs as you say, kind of put the armor of apologetics on and go into battle. Make you more like me. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I think what's far more likely to actually draw people to the Christian faith, the Christian vision of reality is actually kind of actually making them want the Christian story to be true rather than just trying to show that it's true. It's, it's actually saying what, what, what makes, what makes you passionate? What, why are you who you are? What, what are the things that drive your life? And then to perhaps show that in everything, in, in that way, in the story, as we say, going back to this story thing, the stories that they're telling themselves are to some extent reflected in the story of Jesus Christ, that, that somehow that story does seem to reflect back the story that they would like the way the universe to be, if you like. Um, so I think, I think apologetics does need to do that that first um it's it's you know it has become a very left-brained approach to things but we need to engage our right brain which is the storytelling imaginative side because that's actually where the real thing happens in my view that that's actually where most people come to the point of wanting it to be true is is because they've become you know you've you they've they've been given a vision that makes sense of them in a kind of holistic way so um, that was a bit rambly. I apologise, but it's it's kind of that's 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 kind of where I would see it. Yeah, it sounds like you're describing 
doing this step away from that pure rationalistic, mechanistic explanations that kind of Protestantism modern has really lent into saying, well, it makes sense because of these reasons. And Genesis is a literal account and we need to use a scientific way of explaining to explain this text. And it sounds like you're saying, how about we step back into what would be accused of as illogical, irrational, the anecdote, because we want to step back into what do you as a human want to be true? And maybe let's start there. But that seems like a big, like almost the sin of scientific thinking to go, well, don't center yourself. We need objectivity here. Sounds like you're describing. Let's let's step back into but that way of I, being. But again, I, and I, do, I wouldn't want the pendulum to just swing back and remain only there because mm-hmm. for me it is about bringing those two halves of those brains, to use that image again, together into right. one whole. And, yeah. and, and for me... Um, you know, so whether you love him or hate him, um, Jordan Peterson pops up a few times in my book because I think he's an interesting... Many people will be both, <laughs> yes. He's an interesting figure in our culture because he's he's a good example of someone who I think began drawing a similar crowd to the one the New Atheists were drawing um, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but they failed to deliver on purpose and meaning and those kinds of questions with 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 their kind of approach to life. Jordan Peterson seemed to be able to tap into, uh, in a much more direct way, people's search for purpose and meaning and hope. And he started to use the Bible, especially, as a way of sort of anchoring that and saying this this goes back a long way. And we have these texts that, that seem to speak to this whole thing. But the interesting thing with Peterson is um, he's... He, he he is very difficult to nail down on the kind of but is it really true kind of bit because christians love to get that yeah uh, exactly. that definitive exactly. the, the question are you a christian do you go to church every saturday what do you literally believe and maybe <laughs> at the end i'll hit you with hey justin what do you literally believe That's so that people can put you in the appropriate camp and brand of christianity to tell you you're wrong yeah so like when i had jordan peterson on my show you know to to, to discuss with a, a an atheist psychologist the question can we live without god he he basically almost fulfilled the role of a christian apologist he was kind of very much basically saying no we can't live without god but when i asked him at the very beginning of the show well well do you believe in god he said well it depends what you mean by god and and that's where things get tricky because obviously what what your conception is of god and i don't think he wanted to be kind of tied down to a very kind of specific kind of delineated version of god that can then basically be shot down by a richard dawkins type um with with just some sort of rational argument because i think he and many other people feel like god doesn't fit in that box in that sense as soon as i've described god i've immediately kind of not described god um uh, and and limited god in that sense but i'd say that but then a little later on he he kind of had a bit of a a breakdown he had some health issues and he, he when he came back he started having more conversations with religious people actually one of one of his the people he quite frequently interacts with is a guy called jonathan pajot again who's an eastern orthodox um guy who carves icons and um and they've had some really interesting discussions and i remember being struck by one of them quite forcefully in which peterson himself talked about his own personal journey in this area saying that when it comes to the person of jesus he feels very conflicted because that that is one person who seems to bring together the 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 imaginative psychological world of of you know meaning um the the, the kind of the, the the and and he often sort of talks about the value of religion while while never quite being able to say it's it's actually true but he brings that together with real history real time place um you know with with actual physical reality objective truth if you like and and Peterson said, I feel like this is in this person, these two things are meeting, that this is the way place where they overlap. And in that sense, if he is going on a journey of uh, it, it, it's not dissimilar to the one that C.S. Lewis had, where, where he talked about being, uh, on the one hand, a materialist who kind of faced the fact that reality was just this this grim fact of, you know, material stuff, which really didn't have any purpose or meaning to it. And yet, in his imagination, he was, you know, the things that brought him life and meaning were the mythologies of the ancient gods and the the stories and the poetry and the music and everything else. And it was again through J.R. Tolkien, his friend, who was of course a, a great storyteller and mythologist himself. 
he brought both that that objective realm and that mythological imaginative realm together and said it was in Jesus that the, these two realms met. So for me, I'm I'm kind of I I don't want to say it's all about just going over into the kind of the sort of subjective meaning uh, meaning searching thing and abandoning objective truth. It's about as a Christian, I, I honestly believe they they are they meet in Jesus Christ. There's this kind of sense in which you you truly do get the best of both worlds, um, and we need to be careful as apologists of not sort of preferring one over the other, but always mm. seeking to bring them together. Because that always seems to be the difficult balance, and especially bringing up Jordan Peterson and then Christian political judgments and all of these things as you tie it together to, I guess, the critique of the. Or as you point out, the, this rebirth of belief in God and the problem of the meaninglessness, this is perhaps what underlies, I think, a lot of people that agitate against Christians, against apologists. It seems to be this perceived underlying arrogance that Christians have always been right. They always will be right. And, you know, in political culture, they now occupy the role of the victim, I suppose. And it's all the issues and ills of society seem to, from a Christian diagnosis, as I connect perhaps loosely some of the dots that you piece together in your book, correct me where I've connected these dots wrongly, but a lot of Christians would put these together. They'd go, okay, so the, there's cultural and political changes taking place and every, everything's becoming more political and more tribal and we can see it because you know social media monetizes this tribalism. And then they're blaming, okay, okay, this woke left politics is this problem and no one has identity, no one has meaning. And this is because people have less Christi left Christianity. They don't have a sense of meaning. They don't have a sense of purpose. And then it comes out in our cultural, political, like hot button issues that, you know, trend really well. And it comes out on the whole as this, what is a woman debate, LGBT debates, and Christians weigh in heavily on this thing and they almost blame it all on society leaving Christianity. I have mm. friends who mm. weren't fully Christian. They might have followed the journey you're describing, going to a more like Jordan Peterson brought them into this, uh, this I guess, version of Christianity or this, this appreciation of it. They're not fully Christian, mm. but then they end up almost simultaneously in this political realm yeah. where it is stereotypical right-wing mm. Republican politics. Mm. And... Just help me separate those two and that and the Christian element that seems to be in there. And I'm very aware of, of how easy it is to sort of perhaps go off in a direction that might be positive, but that ends up just being another sort of bit of the culture wars and, and you end up just... And the thing I would say mm -hmm. is that, and I hope I've tried to, to kind of do this in the book, yes, I, I do point out the way in which on the progressive left, there are the kind of those stories being told that are insufficient stories, you know, and you could classify those as some of the quote unquote woke ideologies, but equally on the right, you've got people who are, you know, the Christian nationalists or the, the people who believe that there's a, some sort of God given right for Trump to be the president. And, you know, that, that there's also something sacred about their right to bear and use guns. It's like they, these kinds of quasi religious um, ideas can proliferate on both the left and right. It's, it, and they're all idolatrous at the end of the day. Um, some of them might be coming from a very good place. And when I use, you know, when I describe something as an idol, there are lots of very good things in our lives, a passion for equality and justice that, that can nevertheless kind of come out in, in a form of idolatry because it's still taking the place of God. And only through God can those things find their true place and their right place and, and actually make a difference in the world. Um, and, and so for me, it's, it's about sort of saying it's not particularly a left or right issue. It's a, it's a human issue. It's the fact that we tend to always create small, small gods that are not, you know, don't, and I would, you said, is the problem that it's going to look like Christians saying, well, we were right all the time. No, it's not because Christians are wrong a lot of the time because they're human. God is right all the time. Christians have a real trouble kind of hearing properly from God, I think, and, and, and make a real hash a lot of the time of the church and of doing that. I mean, thank God, there is such a thing as grace that, you know, that we can stuff it up, but we get a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance to try again with God's grace. So for me, it's like, I, I don't know, I don't know, you know, that certainly 
there are lots of versions of the church that I can see why people wouldn't have any enthusiasm for that being that the future of our world. I don't have any enthusiasm for that either. Wherever the church looks like basically another version of American politics or nationalism or anything like that, absolutely. Uh, I think it's just another form of idolatry. But the for me, um, there's there's something deeper. There's a deeper story that we're being called to. And for me, that's the story that will ultimately transform, you know, both the people who have rejected church, the people who are in the church, but are actually following something else. Um, and I, I, I think we're gradually edging towards it. I think there are lots of long turns that can take place. I don't particularly like the political cultural warrior version of Jordan Peterson of the last couple of years. I think he sometimes says really interesting, nuanced things. I think he sometimes says really dumb things. Um, so it's kind of like, there's no, you know, none of these are going to be the the Messiah, you know, but I think they are nonetheless, there are mm. sort of bellwethers, if you like, that that tell us that there are things going on in the culture, which suggests that people are ready to take God seriously again, you know, um, mm-hmm. what the church will look like coming out of that. I, I couldn't really tell you exactly what it will look right. like. Yeah. You're describing this overarching narrative that is we can slip into tribalism and hold things too tightly and use them as weapons to hurt other people. Whether we sit in the Christian camp, whether we are fighting for justice and the causes might be great, but we're still, we can still hold things incorrectly and have wrong ideas. Final question, I suppose, for progressive friends of the show, real quick, last one. Do you need to believe in a literal resurrection of Jesus to be a Christian? <laughs> um, I, I think that if you don't believe in a literal resurrection of Jesus, you're missing out. Because for me, if, if God said about his creation, it's good. I, I love the fact that I'm a physical human being with all my limitations and everything else. And for me, the reason the resurrection is so meaningful is because it is in our world. It happened here. It's a physical thing. It's God saying the world is, I'm going to put this world right. I'm not just going to take you off to some sort of, you know, spiritual airy fairy dimension. It's, it's about saying So for me, if you're a, someone who believes in putting the world to rights through activism, through social justice, you should believe in a physical resurrection because that's God saying the physical world matters. It's not just about getting to heaven, hmm. you know, it, it, you know, in some sort of, um, so I, I would say don't, you know, if you can, please do believe in it <laughs> because it's the best thing about Christianity yeah. as far but, as I'm concerned. But are you included in the tribe? Do you get to I'm be not going to judge. I'm not going to judge. I, I honestly, I can. I, 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 I never want to judge. Generally, you don't have the badges. You're not giving out the Christian yeah, badges. Exactly. I, I'm more than happy to leave that between God and that individual. Um, you know, I, 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 I just, from my own personal point of view, I think um, having trusting in the God who took on flesh and didn't simply discard that flesh when he was raised, but actually, you know said that this physical world is not going to hell in a handcart because because I, I want to be part of it forever um that's really important to me so yeah justin thanks so much for taking so much time being generous with your time you've moved on from unbelievable which many people we know from you've got this book when's the book coming out and how can people follow where you are and what you're up can, to can what I you're waving up to for the camera um this is a preview copy. It's it's called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. Um, it comes out in September, but you can pre-order it now. So if you want to go to my website, justinbriley.com, there are ways to do that there. I can even get you a signed copy as well from that. Um, and I'm uh, going to be going to be actually um, just working at the moment on a, uh, a podcast documentary series based off the book. So look out for that uh, releasing around the same time as the book in September. But um, yeah, so, so really... Um, really hoping that yeah lots of people whether they're christian or not will will be encouraged to pick up the book and and hopefully it'll get people thinking if you want to reach out to me idisdigest at gmail.com or on instagram thanks everybody for tuning in and i'll catch you all in the next episode